check. On this episode, we interview Dr. David Bird, founder and chief medical officer of Biovaxis. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am your host. My name is Richard Waith. I'm looking forward to today's episode. Uh, we have the founder and chief medical officer of Biovaxis, Dr. David Bird. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So I'm one of the, you know, you don't really often get the opportunity to talk to someone that's actually invented a vaccine. So I'm really interested to hear, uh, you know, about yourself and your career leading up to um, Biovaxis and, and how you got into this space. So um, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Um, I was uh, trained as a medical oncologist. I practiced uh, medical oncology for uh, many years at uh, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in, 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 uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, uh, early on, um, I became interested in uh, immunotherapy, which at that time was new and considered a bit weird, but, uh, but, but had a very strong scientific basis. And um, uh, the aspect of immunotherapy that interested me the most was the possibility of a vaccine, of vaccines, not to prevent cancer, although that would, that would be great, but actually a therapeutic vaccines to, to treat cancer. Um, I uh, uh, initially uh, worked on melanoma for many years and then uh, uh, realized that the um, technology was applicable to other cancers and did, um, did uh, additional work on other cancers, including, including ovarian cancer. The, uh, the basis of the vaccines that I was interested in was, 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 was two things. One, um, the, vaccines were, or the vaccine is, is autologous. And um, that means uh, it's made from the patient's own tumor. Uh, and nowadays we call that personalized therapy, but uh, it's a relatively new term. And, and the reason for an autologous vaccine is we really don't know very much about what proteins or antigens or components of a cancer cell um, are the best to be used uh, to immunize somebody. And there are many pretty smart people who think that one cancer, a cancer in one patient may be significantly different from the cancer in another, and that a one-size-fits-all vaccine would never work. And um, since at that time, and even, even today, we really don't, are not really able to pick uh, proteins that, uh, that, that we would like to use for a vaccine, it seemed like scientifically the, the, the best approach was to use the whole cancer cell. And, and that idea, unfortunately for, for, for us, I guess, but maybe unfortunately for, uh, for science, has not changed very much. So, so the basis of this is the, the autologous uh, cancer cell, uh, uh, which we would now uh, call uh, personal, personalized therapy. The second concept was based on the idea that uh, Years ago, it was already known that it's very difficult to immunize uh, people, and, and not only people, but experimental animals <clears throat> against cancers once, they're, once they started growing. And, and of course, any patient with cancer, the, the cancer has, has already started growing, and in many cases has, has spread. Um, 
And, and the reason is that although uh, there, are, there are some differences between cancer cells and normal cells, they're, uh, they're, they're amazingly, they're amazingly uh, similar. And um, so uh, a vaccine um, is based on, um, on, on, a, on a difference between what you put in the vaccine and, 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 the, and the person you inject it into. And the, the greater the difference, the greater the immune response you're going to have. So when you're dealing with a cancer cell, which is maybe biochemically uh, uh, or uh, even, even genetically only slightly different from normal, it, it, it's difficult to get an immune response. And I think over the years, many people have proven how difficult it is. So you've got to use some kind of uh, immunological trick. The immunological trick that we settled on is, a, is an ancient one. Um, but uh, an, uh, another way of putting it is that it's, that it's well established. And that is um, with the use of, uh, of haptines. So, um, Haptines uh, uh, are, are small chemicals, and there are many of them, probably thousands to choose from, which uh, stick onto proteins, which are uh, usually the basis of most uh, vaccines, and um, make them more visible to the immune system. And not only make them more visible, but, but in some situations will allow an immune response to be made to a protein, uh, which otherwise just would, wouldn't stimulate any immunity at all. Uh, this this uh, 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 idea of haptins was was originally discovered now about a hundred years ago by, by by a guy named Landsteiner who who won the Nobel Prize because he did something even greater than that. He discovered um, ABO blood groups, <clears throat> which of course is the basis for blood transfusions and all modern, you know, blood typing. And uh, he, he discovered haptines. So it, it was well known um, uh, since then. And many uh, immunologists and chemists use this over the years, this trick of haptinizing proteins and, um, and then uh, getting immune responses in experimental animals that you otherwise couldn't get. So this uh, idea for when we started doing this had, had never really been applied to, to cancer cells. And so that, that was the approach and, and, that, that, and that continues to be the approach. So you uh, take, take, take the cancer cells from the patient, you um, expose them to the haptin and uh, we've, we've used two haptins. One of them, uh, one of them with the most experience is called dinitrophenol, which is abbreviated DNP, DNP. And uh, when you expose the cancer cell to the haptin, um, many, many proteins, hundreds, thousands, who knows how many, on the cancer cells are modified uh, uh, with, with the haptin. And um, the hope is, and the expectation is, <clears throat> that a small percentage of these proteins will serve as uh, what we call antigens that the person's immune response uh, can can uh, can make a response to, uh, and that's the the basis for the vaccine that we uh, that we originally uh, developed uh, invented um, a, a number of years ago, and uh, although there have been improvements, changes, maybe increased sophistication, that's still the basis of what we're working on today. Interesting. Now, one thing that might be a paradigm shift for some is you'd mentioned how this is a vaccine that is more of a therapeutic versus a preventative um, measure. W what's like the biggest challenge? You know, a lot of times you would probably think that you'd want to, you know, 
you know, obviously the goal would be to prevent things like this. So what is, what is the biggest challenge in creating something that is preventative in, um, in the cancer space? I mean, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenges are kind of, are, are, are practical. Um, I mean, if, if, if you're, if you compare and contrast with something like, like, like COVID where virtually everybody is susceptible, um, it's very easy to do a study because you just take everybody, anybody who will volunteer and, 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 and do a study on them. And it's, it's perfectly reasonable to do that. But if you take a specific cancer and let's take melanoma because it's one that I've been interested in, or we could take ovarian cancer, um, the number of people who are going to get that cancer is, is limited. I mean, way too high, but, but still limited. Um, uh, uh, ovarian cancer, for example, um, in, in, in the United States, there may be maybe 50,000 cases a year. So, um, and, and we, and in most of the time, we don't know who, which women are going to get ovarian cancer. Sometimes we can say, well, this woman's at higher risk than this woman, but we don't know exactly who, who's going to get it and who's not going to get it. So, so how do you do a preventative study? It's, 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 it's rather difficult. Um, in addition to that, since all cancer vaccines are experimental, um, it is uh, it is ethical and certainly allowed by the FDA and by ethical committees, et cetera, to use an experimental cancer vaccine in someone who already has cancer because because they need a treatment. But it's a, it's 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 difficult to justify using a vaccine like this on a per, on a perfectly normal person. So the there there won't be widespread cancer prevention vaccines until we have effective treatment vaccines. And, and at that point, when we have uh, effective treatment vaccines that are safe and effective, um, one could then say, okay, well, let's, you know, let's try this on normal people. Let's identify people at very high risk and, and, and do studies, which of course would be very complicated and, and, and would take a long time because you might have to wait years for, 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 for cancers to develop in order to show that you've prevented them from developing. That makes sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for, for going through that with us. Now, what have been the uh, kind of diving in now to the um, to BioVaxis and, and the things that you all been, have been working on? What have been the challenges there with developing um, the, the vaccine now? Obviously, you know, you you know, you all invented the vaccine and but it's not currently, you know, available for use widespread. So what, what are the challenges and what are the barriers that you're now overcoming with making sure that this gets into um, into use and in, into patients? Okay, so the original vaccine that I developed a number of years ago was uh, uh, was um, a, a vaccine modified by, as I said, the Hapton DNP, a single Hapton, and um, uh, uh, about about five hundred patients were studied over a period of years with with melanoma and ovarian cancer and a couple of other cancers, and the results um, in in what we call phase two trials, which are single arm trials, not randomized controlled trials. Uh, were strikingly good, and they were published in many medical journals, high-quality journals, and there, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of of articles describing this. The results looked looked really good, and in in a variety of clinical situations, um, and uh, a company uh, was formed um, uh, to uh, to try to uh, take this to the point where it could be marketed, which. Which of course involves what everybody knows are our randomized controlled trials, which are very complicated and expensive and very time-consuming. And uh, 
uh, the the company that originally took a crack at this lasted for about 15 years and uh, scientifically did very well, but 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 just ran out of money. Um, so uh, about three years ago, um, James Passon, um, Kenneth Covan, and myself, all of whom had been involved in in the previous company, uh, were talking, and we really thought the technology was was too good to let it go. Um, so we uh, we we started BioVaxis with with the idea of of doing this, uh, bringing it up to date, and um, basically getting it done. You know, getting getting it getting get, convincing the FDA and the world that it worked in at least one cancer, and, and getting it marketed, which would open up opportunities to to use this on you know many other cancers and do many other things that would be important to uh, cancer patients. Um, by this time, you know, the world of science had had progressed, uh, fortunately, and um, we had already developed a, a, a second generation vaccine, which involves using uh, two haptins, not one. The other one's called sulfonylic acid, or SA. And uh, there's a very good reason uh, from experimental studies to believe that if you put on two haptins rather than one, that you will get a much better uh, immune response. So we we had already settled on uh, that the that the new vaccine would would be what we call bihaptonized. And the second is that um, one of the, the one of the the great advances in immunotherapy of cancer has been development of uh, of a biological treatment, which in general are known as uh, checkpoint antibodies, and. Um, these uh, were um, uh, invent, in, 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 invented uh, by, 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 by two Nobel Prize uh, winners a number of years ago. And at this point, um, uh, at least a half a dozen of them are actually on the market. And uh, they work remarkably well in, 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 in selected cancers. Um, these um, antibodies, to, to, to make a complicated thing very simple, act on certain components of the immune response that are designed actually to suppress immunity. Um, uh, it, it, the immune response not only contains elements that stimulate immunity, but elements that suppress immunity. And, and you have to have that because if the immune response is unchecked and goes wild, you know, people can get extremely sick. And um, you, you could get what, what we see now are uh, autoimmune diseases, which, which things like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, which are you know pretty terrible diseases, which are due to basically the immune system going wild and 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 reacting you know inappropriately against uh, people's normal tissue. So you have these uh, uh, these cells uh, that are sometimes called suppressor cells um, or regulatory cells, which the immune system has. To, uh, to, to dampen or, or to eliminate immune responses that the body thinks are, are, are harmful. And um, uh, these, uh, these uh, regulatory cells um, play a very big role in limiting the immune response against cancers. That's been known for a long time. So these, these checkpoint antibodies actually uh, block those cells and um, release the immune response and allowing the body to make uh, a better immune response against the cancer. So as I said, these checkpoint antibodies, uh, uh, are um, a number of them are on the market, and they work very well in certain cancers. So we had planned that our uh, new vaccine, our bihapsonized vaccine, 
would be used with with a checkpoint antibody because the chances are very great that the efficacy of, of the vaccine would be would would be improved by the use of these. So uh, that was the new technology that we uh, that we uh, that we designed and that and and that we're working on. The um, the 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 what we're waiting for now is developing of, of the manufacturing of, of of the vaccine and um, uh, the. You, you 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 can't just you know make these vaccines in somebody's lab and inject them into patients if you want the fda to pay any attention to your results they have to be made under very strict conditions and um we we have contracted with a laboratory in france that is very experienced with this and they are developing uh the manufacturing methods uh for making these you know bihaptonized vaccines and uh, we expect by, um, uh, by, by, by the middle of next year uh, for this to be set up and that we would be ready to start our first clinical trial of, of the new second generation vaccine. And uh, we've chosen to uh, begin with uh, ovarian cancer. That's amazing. I mean, just to, you know, think just to have like the you know the the confidence to say that you know this is the technology this is the technology this is what we need to focus on and and you know kind of reinvigorating the uh the passion towards uh having this created and seeing this through i i think that's amazing and i'm sure that's going to be an amazing impact on the world and you had mentioned you know that there's there's implications down the line with you know once you can show that this was this works and at scale that you know, there's can help a lot of other um, a lot of other patients. What's the what's the outlook there? Like, can you dive into that a little bit? I mean, does it also go beyond um, beyond cancer? Uh, you know, what's the what's the outlook and the potential on on this technology? I, you know, I, I right now I don't see how it would go beyond cancer, but 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 it goes beyond any specific cancer. It's a it, it's what we call a, a platform technology. So so if we can demonstrate that it works and that, of course that it's safe. In ovarian cancer, it, it could be done in, in almost any human cancer, just a matter of being able to get the tumor tissue, which is usually fairly easy, fairly easy. And, um, and and the method for making the vaccine is, is exactly the same. So I think that the applicability, at least midterm, is to apply it to many different human uh, cancers. Um, so uh, we've already done it in melanoma. We've chosen not to uh, put melanoma first on the list for a variety of, of practical reasons, but ovarian cancer is first on the list. But for example, we're quite interested in, in, in colon cancer, which causes a lot of deaths around the world um, and um, kidney cancer, possibly lung cancer. Um, so that's the, that's a, a huge pro project that would take many years, but short term, um, if we can demonstrate that this works in advanced ovarian cancer, uh, that would be uh, a very great advance in the treatment of, of that disease. And, and of course, it would allow our company to, you know, to move forward and do, you know, do you know, bigger and better things. I'm curious to know, why did you choose ovarian cancer to start with? Sure. Um, well, for, for two reasons. Um, one, with the previous vaccine, the first generation vaccine, we had done some work in small number of patients, about 50 patients with advanced ovarian cancer who were no longer cur curable with chemotherapy. And we, we saw um, 
no safety issues, uh, no, no serious side effects. And uh, we saw what looked to be unexpectedly good results with, with, with prolonged survivals. I, mean, I emphasize um, uh, that, that these were not um, controlled studies, you know, with, with, you know, with control groups, which, which is necessary to do to convince the world. But in, in single arm studies in which everybody got the vaccines, the survivals looked to be much longer than expected if one looks at the medical literature at the outcome of, of similar groups of patients. So, <clears throat> so the results with the first vaccine look very promising. So we've ever re reason to think that with the second generation vaccine and the checkpoint antibodies, we should get an even better result. The second reason is that um, ovarian cancer is, is a very difficult cancer and causes it causes a lot of deaths, uh, uh, 20, 25,000 deaths per year in the United States and hundreds of thousands around the world. And although there are people who are uh, cured of, of their ovarian cancer with chemotherapy, the majority are not. So there are a lot of people who, uh, who are in desperate need uh, of a new treatment. So there, uh, there, there's a need and an opportunity in ovarian cancer coupled with our previous experience, seem, seem, seem to us uh, reason, reasons enough to make this into our first target. I emphasize it's our first target, um, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, how has uh, BioVaxis applied their technology to, to COVID? Uh, my understanding is there's been some new developments there in, uh, in the response to the pandemic. Um, can you give us some details? Yes, I can. Um, so uh, we're 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 working on 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 two products uh, for COVID. Um, one is that we have a vaccine, um, uh, and uh, the vaccine takes advantage of the haptin idea that I discussed uh, previously. So um, we take one of the proteins uh, from the virus, and it's actually the spike protein, which uh, many other, in fact, most of the other companies, including those that have been uh, strikingly successful, have used, and uh, and, and we haptonize it and uh, we use that for the vaccine. Um, there are a lot of advantages to this approach. It's very simple. It's relatively cheap. For a variety of reasons, we expect the side effects would be less than with some of the other vaccines. So. Um, so far, all we've done is 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 uh, an animal study in mice, and um, we 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 in, uh, immunized the mice and checked them for immune responses to the uh, to, to to the viral protein, of course, the, the natural viral protein, not the haptonized one. And the results were very positive and very encouraging. That we got um, uh, very strong antibody responses against the virus protein, which everybody knows is very important in COVID. And possibly more importantly, we got um, T-cell responses. T-cell responses are not discussed that much in, um, in, in, in the mass media, but it's, it's another aspect of the immune response, which is pretty important in protecting us from viruses. And so the fact that we got T-cell responses was, was, was extremely encouraging. Um, we are um, now deciding how to go forward. I mean, when we started the project, there were no there were no vaccines available. Now, fortunately, you know we have um, uh, we have um, 
uh, three vaccines uh, approved in the United States, not, not approved, but at least have emergency use approval in the United States, which are very effective, and several other around the world would seem to be effective. And so um, the question is, um, you know, uh, how do you, you know how do you fit into that? In other words, uh, success is great, but you, you have to respond to it. So we're evaluating that, and, and we think that there uh, there there are ways in which our vaccine uh, could be useful. Um, also, uh, our vaccine, uh, our COVID vaccine, is also a platform technology. So um, we uh, we are using um, a protein, the spike protein, which came from the original what they call ancestral uh, 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 COVID virus. Now everybody knows there are these variants. Um, and so we, are, we, we could very easily um, uh, um, make, make new vaccines without really very much additional development um, using, using the, the proteins from the variants uh, or, or a combination of vaccine that, that included uh, proteins from the original and the variant. So, we have the flexibility of doing that. And so, you know, at, at this point, we're deciding how to proceed and um, uh, raising the enormous amount of money that, that it takes to develop these. And um, uh, things are moving along so rapidly. So so the need for additional vaccines is, is evolving. And, you know, we have we have to see how things you know, how, how things go forward. Um, it, 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 even though we've had great success with the vaccines, it is apparent that that the virus is not going away so there's going to be a need for for new approaches you know at least for the next few years so the second thing we're working on is is a test uh it's a test not for the virus but for immunity to the virus and um almost all the tests on the market today measure your antibody responses to the virus and uh, it's very easy to do that and uh, anybody wants to have that test done prescription from your doctor and you can have antibodies measured and, and an antibodies are important. But as I mentioned before, there's another component to the immune response called T cells, which are a particular type of white blood cell that um, are very smart and can protect us from a lot of things um, and um, are very, very important in immunity to all viruses and, and also to um, to, uh, to the virus that causes COVID-19. Um, one of the remarkable things about T-cell immunity is that it lasts for a long time. So there are people uh, who had uh, the, the, the precursor to the current COVID was a disease called SARS, and now it's called SARS-1, which struck the world um, around 2003. And there are people, of course, many people around who, who have survived that. And 20 years later, many of them still have T-cell immunity against the virus. So these, when you have T-cell immunity, it can last for a really long time. So um, tests for T-cell immunity, as compared with antibody immunity, are, are difficult. And um, I believe in the United States, there are, only, there are two on the market. And um, they require a, a blood draw and being sent to a specialty lab and uh, a very complicated uh, procedure. Um, uh, it takes a week or two to get the results. And uh, the cost, as far as we can tell, the retail cost is about $300 per test. So it's not applicable to tens of thousands, certainly not hundreds of thousands or millions of patients. 
at $300 a test. So we uh, are using a test um, called uh, delay type hypersensitivity, which is um, also an old test. It's also known as a skin test. And almost everybody um, has had this test because it's a standard test for immunity to tuberculosis. So that anybody who's had a PPD test or a Manteau test or whatever they call it locally, uh, and that's probably the majority of people uh, in the world and, and, and many people in the United States, um, knows what this test is. So what it consists of is injecting a, a very tiny amount of one of the proteins from the virus into the skin of, of, the, uh, of the forearm, the, uh, the uh, under part of the forearm where the skin is very thin. And if you have T cells circulating in your blood that are responsive to this protein, 24 to 48 hours later, that's why it's called delayed, 24 to 48 hours, you get a red hive at the site of the injection and you can measure it. And then the technical name for this is delayed type hypersensitivity or DTH. Um, DTH is, as I said, already used um, for TB, and it's been used in the past for many other microorganisms, including mumps virus, um, uh, not used anymore because mumps virus, mumps has become a thing of the past thanks to a mumps vaccine, but, but DTH was used for measuring T-cell immunity to mumps viruses. So uh, our uh, product, which we call COVID-DTH, is, is, is a DTH test against a, um, a protein uh, from the virus. And um, we, we think that this could be done for, for under $10 uh, a test. So that means you could, you could do the test. It would be feasible financially to do the test on hundreds of thousands, maybe, maybe even millions of people. Um, and um, uh, no blood draw is required. It could be done by uh, paramedical personnel, such as pharmacists, and um, you get a result in, in, in 24 to 48 hours. Um, and we're very excited about this test um, because we think that there's a high probability of, of, of it working and because um, it, it's evident that even with the great vaccines that we now have, uh, we need the test. And one of the reasons is we have so many people who who don't want to get vaccinated. And um, it would be very helpful to know what how many of these people have T-cell immunity because those who who refuse to get vaccinated but but have T-cell immunity are much less of a of a worry to the to the public health people of of acquiring the disease and 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 uh, spreading it. Um, so we're working on this very hard, and we expect to have a clinical. Uh, obviously, the clinical development of this is much simpler than a, a cancer vaccine, um, and we expect to have a clinical trial going on this by uh, the end of this calendar year or, or the beginning of uh, next calendar year. Um, during the time we've been working on this, there's been a uh, another physician, a Spanish physician. Um, a Dr. Barrios in uh, Canary Islands. Actually, she works in Canary Islands and in Tenerife, who independently came up with um, the idea of this DTH test. And since she's not a company and doesn't have to deal with the FDA and 
has a lot more freedom to move um, uh, faster than than we do. Actually, has tested this on on about 100 patients, and with results as good as I could possibly anticipate. And this is uh, given. Uh, she's she's published a couple of papers on this, and so we are. This gives us greater encouragement that this test is is going to work, and. Um, this is something that we can do and develop over a short term. We think it's going to be it's going to be very important to the public health community, not only in North America but but around the world. Sticking on this topic, um, I'm curious. Being a pharmacist myself, you know, a lot of people are reaching out and with vaccine hesitancy and asking questions and being and, you know expressing their concerns and getting my thoughts. So I'm curious to know the expert among the other experts. Uh, how has that, that experience been for you in terms of people reaching out and asking, you know, about, you know, should they get the vaccine, your thoughts on it? How, what are those conversations been like? Has there been any common themes or what's your experience has been like throughout the pandemic? Well, the, the, the experiences would only be personal. I mean, our company would not give advice to people on, on, on medical issues. It's not our business. We have no right to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, this but, is purely I mean, personal, I mean, per- your personal personally, experience. Personally, <laughs> I'm sometimes asked. I mean, frankly, most most of my friends and acquaintances and family members have been vaccinated, and they didn't need any encouragement from me. Um, so occasionally, uh, uh, somebody will, you know, people who choose not to be vaccinated very often don't really want to talk about it for a variety of reasons, which are very understandable. But occasionally, when people mention it to me, I I just, I mean, I I encourage them to get vaccinated. I. I, I give them the the data that I have, which everybody has, and it's the the, the total number of, of vaccines administered of the um, of of the vaccines that are that are that are available around the world is now um, uh, well exceeds one billion people um, with um, not no side effects, but a very low rate of si- of side effects and an extremely low rate of serious side effects. And um, I mean, this, this disease is no joke. And um, uh, although it, it's mainly dangerous for older people or for people with pre-existing conditions, um, it would be very nice if we could get this epidemic to an end uh, for all the reasons that I don't have to say. And so I, 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 I am strongly in favor of uh, everybody getting vaccinated unless there's some medical reason why you can't be, and and that would only be a, a very a very small number of people. So, that's uh, that's that's my personal experience. This is obviously, you know, not an issue that our company addresses. Yeah, no, uh, it was just purely asking your personal. I was just curious to see, um, you know, what what the. Uh... The expert among the experts was, was going through, but uh, thanks for that insight there. And um, maybe lastly, to wrap up, just wanted to see what's in the pipeline that is most promising to you. I mean, whether it be something that um, BioVaxis is working on or something you might have seen, uh, you know, somewhere else with another organization or another company. Um, give, give us like what's top of mind for you that you're most excited about that's in that's in a pipeline somewhere with uh, how it's going to impact healthcare. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I work for the company. I'm the inventor of the technologies, and you know, we're very enthusiastic about our about our pro- about our products uh, for cancer and, and for COVID. I'm a medical oncologist, so uh, you know, that's where that's that's where my heart is. I mean, to have a, a better treatment for cancer, better immunotherapies, just would be 
it, it would there there are a lot of people who out there who would be very very grateful for uh, for that and it would give me tremendous satisfaction if 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 the company could 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 uh, could could have success in that direction now as far as um as what's going on in the world um from talking um with virologists um the 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 big the big push over the next few years is going to be according to them to develop a, a vaccine that provides immunity against um all coronaviruses not 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 just the one that causes covid-19 because there are hundreds of coronaviruses living in bats and all kinds of weird animals that live in west asia that could mutate or uh, you know come be, become a problem in you know in 20 years 50 years who knows so um uh it seems like it's possible to develop um a vaccine that would prevent people from all coronaviruses and I won't go into the details of that. That's not, that's not something that Biovaxis is working on, although we might in the future. And uh, that would be uh, that would be a, a, a tremendous advance because it would just it would just eliminate you know a great risk not only for us but for for our you know for our children and grandchildren. Yeah, that's for part two of our of our episode. If we ever yeah. have another conversation, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Dr. Bird, I learned so much throughout this conversation, and um, I wanted to, you know, just thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, before I do let you go, I do have one bonus question, and um, I ask all yes. my guests this one: uh, If you had the opportunity to have dinner with one person, um, who would that person be, and why? Now, there, there's some rules here. Uh, you, it, it, the person has to be alive, and it cannot cannot be any pa the current or past presidents. So you get one person to take out to dinner to have a conversation with. Who would that person be and why? Mel Brooks. I like that quick answer. Why is that? <laughs> well, take me long to think of it. Uh, I mean, he, he's 95 years old, so I hope he lives to be 120. But uh, uh, the, I, I, if I'm going to have dinner with him, it probably ought to be pretty soon. Um, uh, the, one, one of the funniest men who ever lived and um and i have uh, stolen uh and and used um uh more of his lines than from any other writer including you know the great writers that we were all exposed to you know in college so uh he's uh, he's 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 an important person to me uh life is not all science it's got to be balanced and uh you need to laugh and see the funny and crazy side of things. And um, he has uh, contributed greatly to um, to uh, my life, my ability to cope with problems. And uh, I'd love to talk to him one-on-one -on -one for an hour. That's amazing. That, that's that's fascinating. Well, um, what's the best way to for people to connect back with um, with either yourself or, or kind of keep up to date with BioVaxis and what's going on with your technologies and your progress? Well, we're listed. Not many people see the listings. I mean, we're we're listed. You know, you can you can access this through the um, through any of the um, uh, 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 stock uh, um, uh, listings like Yahoo, etc. We're listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. We're BIOV. Um, dot CN, and so we we put out press releases whenever we have a chance to give to tell us what's going on. Um, 
we uh, I, 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 I certainly would welcome any inquiries from patients who or, or, or prospective patients who are interested in, in our technology. We, we get a lot of you know questions from particularly women with ovarian cancer, when can I get this? And I, I respond to all of them and I you know I tell them that we'll keep them, uh, abreast of what's going on and let them know when clinical trials are starting. So, you know, they, they, they can either get it publicly or if they would like to contact the company, uh, we would be very, very happy to um, to respond to their questions and keep them advised of our progress. Great. Well, again, uh, Dr. Bird, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I definitely learned a lot and I think the listeners did as well. And um, uh, really appreciate all the work that you're doing to, to make the world a better place. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your giving me the opportunity to talk about our products. Hope you all enjoyed that episode. I definitely learned a lot. It was nice to hear the story of uh, how Dr. David Bird first got into developing vaccines and uh, great to hear the technologies that are going on and the innovations happening in the uh, um, in that world with uh, with BioVaxis. So um, hope you all enjoyed that and learned something from this episode. Make sure to connect with us on any of your favorite social media platforms. Also subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you listening to all the episodes and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.